I need your help. I need you to, uh, yesterday, I'm trying to decide about the tears of my wife. And so yesterday, um, we were involved in taking our son, our youngest son, uh, her baby. Uh, he's 19 years old, will be 20 in December. Um, I've still not, I still don't understand that part, but anyway. So, um, we're about to leave to come back home from Nashville. And, uh, of course, you know how fathers and sons are. I say a son, you know. And then she w- proceeds to hug Andrew and, wow, and hug Andrew and hug Andrew. And these tears are just flowing. And so I couldn't decide if the tears were tears of sadness because she's leaving her baby or tears of joy because she's going to be with her husband. <laughs> so I thought, well, I can let the church decide. And since she's in the nursery today, you know, so I'll let you keep your answer to yourself. All right, all right guys, well, we're going to swim in the deep end of the pool for the next couple of weeks. So uh, if you didn't take swimming lessons, uh, you may want to get some. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and go to Second Peter in chapter 1 as we continue our study on the subject of spiritual growth. That's really the big picture here, that we're studying spiritual growth. It's about our sanctification, um, and it's about what's going on with us in our daily life as a believer. You know, what am I doing? Am I really growing in my relationship with the Lord? And that's such... An individual answer, um, that's something that you know. Uh, I don't necessarily know that. Um, but it's important that we engage with what the text says in terms of spiritual growth. Remember last week, we talked about the fact that the phrase, these things, keeps, up, keeps coming up over and over and over and over again. And you're like, okay, Peter, you're wearing that out. But the reality is that he wants his audience to consider the things that are mentioned in terms of their sanctification in verses 5 through 7. He wants them to consider the importance of spiritual growth. Um, It's great to be saved. Amen? Great to be saved. It's great to stand before God as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. That's a great standing. Um, And I enjoy the fact that I'm a child of God. I enjoy the fact in knowing that one day I'm going to spend an eternity with my Savior. But until that point, until he comes for me, um, I need to be busy, diligent in pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ. Right? Right? That's what needs to happen in my life. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, that's what needs to happen in your life. There needs to be a consideration of these things that are mentioned in verses 5 through 7 of 2 Peter 1. I wrote last week, these things are critical to growth in Christ. There there are numerous lists in the New Testament uh, on the importance of spiritual growth. I mean, just a ton of, of lists. We won't go through them all today. But if you start in Galatians and go through Thessalonians, you're going to find that these lists occur over and over again. And a lot of the time, Paul is talking about 
how we grow in Christ. Um, the reason I, could, I entitled the, or subtitled the message today for our consideration is because there are things in this life that we have to consider. How much more should we consider spiritual things? Like, let me give you an example. Uh, we need to consider April 15th every year. It's coming up, right? We, we know what that day is, correct? And so we have to consider before that day what's going on in terms of our finances and what we owe Uncle Sam, right? We have to consider those things. If you're a teenager, you have to consider school. You may not want to consider school. God love you. You may not want to, but you have to consider school. You may not want to consider the fact that your boss wants you to be on time to work, but you better consider that your boss wants you to be on time to work. If you don't, then you're going to lose your job. And so I'm thinking, okay, those things are important. We understand that. But wow, how much more important is it for us to consider where, and this is what I want you guys to do, and, and I, I'm doing it as well, to consider really, really, where we are as individuals in this growth process. So if you didn't pick up your Bible the whole week or for a month, there's a problem. If we never went to the Father in prayer for a week or a month, there's a problem, agreed? So there has to be this attention. That's why I call it the deep end of the pool because a lot of times it's hard to consider the deeper things in life. Like, for example, where is my relationship truly with my wife or my husband? So those are, those are difficult subjects. They make us squirm. But they need to be considered. And Peter wants these guys to consider their growth spiritually. And that's why he writes in verses 5 through 7, now for this very reason also, he says, applying all diligence, supply in your faith. What? Moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, what does he say? In your perseverance, godliness. Now those five traits are very personal. Very personal. And then he gets into the relationship piece. He says, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness. That's relationships within the body of Christ, by the way, that are outside of this building. Okay, there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world. So we don't want to be limited in our scope here. So it, it's even those people that we left from other churches, <laughs> right? Those people that, that are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. God wants us to consider those things because if we just gave one reason, Paul gives it in Ephesians 4, the Lord wants there to be unity in the body of Christ. A lot of disunity in the world going on. Wow, what a great time for the body of Christ to come together as one, to consider that. So he says, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and then he says, in your brotherly kindness, what? Love. That's the world, the big picture, the world, all right? In verses five through seven, that's what he says to these guys. He wants them to grow in the relationship to Christ. This is going to help them do that. 
And then verse 8, we started talking about the results last week. And the result last week was positive. I mean, it's a positive result or consequence, if you want to use that word. A positive consequence if one is truly abounding in these things. You remember, we used that popcorn illustration, right? It's just, this, if it's ours, if these things are ours and they're abounding, they're overflowing, the popcorn's coming out of the box, right? In relationship to these things, then what does he say? He says, we're useful and we're productive, we're fruitful. We're fruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord wants for us. Those are positive things. But then verse 9 is not real positive. It's negative. Um, A negative consequence or a negative result. What if these things, right? What if these things that are mentioned in verse 5 are not going on in my life? This moral excellence and this knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. What if these things are not going on like they need to be in my life? Well, there's a subtle change and that's where he begins in verse 9. Look at verse 9. The subtle change begins with a pronoun usage change. Now, I know that's kind of weird and for you, you might not even be interested in this, but but I was very interested in it. I'm kind of weird like that. I like looking at all the words. But Peter goes from using second person to third person. And that caught my attention. Look at chapter uh, 1, verse 9 of Second Peter 1. He says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, the better translation, as it reads in the original, um, gives some definition to this term blind. For he who lacks these things is blind being short-sighted. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Having forgotten purification from his sins. So you note the pronoun difference. Um, he goes from talking to this audience, right, of believers, and now he goes from you to he. Uh, so you have to ask yourself why. Well, I kind of like the explanation of this one person who I could not give credit to. I have no idea who it was. But I was reading an article about this, and he, he referred to this passage. He says, so as not to identify his entire audience as lacking these things, which makes sense, Peter changes pronoun usage from second to third person. So he's not calling out all of them because remember in verse 8, it's positive. If these things are yours, you possess these things and you're abounding, right? They're overflowing in your life. Then you're useful, you're productive, you're fruitful in the true knowledge of Christ. But there may be people among you that that's not going on. Could that be easily said? Absolutely. There may be people in this body right now that need a reminder of what we're talking about today. That's why I subtitled the message for consideration because we really do need to consider what Peter is saying to his audience. So first of all, we identify that there's a pronoun change in this verse, which kind of is unique really in this, in this uh, passage. Um, We want to deal now with the issue at hand. First of all, Peter notes that these folks have a vision problem. There's a vision problem. Um, Notice what he says. For he who lacks, and that word lacks means to whom these things are not present. 
All right, these things are not going on in their life. Um, he says, for he who lacks these is blind being short-sighted. Um, these two terms are interesting in the original language to study. The term blind here means an inability to see. An inability to see. Okay? It's used metaphorically to refer to one who has a lack of understanding. A lack of understanding. I think it's important to let you know right now that there are three views as it relates to this particular verse. There are some that view this verse as written to those who aren't believers. I kind of, there are very, very few people that are in that camp. And based on the context of the passage, I think the fact, and just using that verse, the last phrase, what does it say this person has? Purification from sin. So I don't believe he's referring to unbelievers. Some view this as that um, the term blind and short-sighted are synonymous terms, okay? And um, so that short-sighted is kind of describing what's going on with this person uh, in relationship to um, their blindness. And then there's a third view. Um, I kind of like the second and third one, and I kind of guess if I was going to rate them, I like the third view the best. And it's kind of one and then one A is the second view. But the third view is that the term blind here is referring to the the condition of the person. And they're blind because they're short-sighted. Okay? The short-sightedness is causing them to be blind. Now, I want to explain that to you uh, further as we uh, look at these words. All right? Um, So blind is an inability to see. Used metaphorically, it refers to one who has a lack of understanding. You may be there. You may be not understanding what's going on in your life spiritually because you haven't given a whole lot of thought to it. Um, You may be saved, but hadn't really thought about this whole sanctification piece. Which, by the way, I'm taking a class on soteriology, and um, I'm trying to finish my master's degree. I started back in 1992. (laughs) And... uh, so I'll be finished with my first one, hopefully, Lord willing, by May. But I'm taking this class on soteriology, and we had to do a video presentation this week uh, where we introduce ourselves. And, you know, I'm 52 years old. I don't, need, I don't know how to work a computer and make it, you know, where I can see myself and talk. So as I'm talking to the computer, that's what I think I'm doing. I'm talking to the computer, and the computer's videoing my, um, my message I told Dr. Anderson, I'm really looking forward, and this is just a summary, I'm really looking forward to the class because I believe in the church today, there's a big problem. There's a big problem. There's a lot of concentration on the justification, salvation piece. And that's great. But I'm not sure there's enough concentration on that whole sanctification holiness, God wants something from me, peace. Of course, I'm 52, and a lot of these students are younger. So I don't know what they thought of the video. I don't know, and part of me really didn't care. But the reality is that I wanted to share with them where my heart was in relationship to this distinction, because there is a distinction between salvation and sanctification. And so... I think that when we consider, hey, I love being saved, you know, and I do, and I look forward to Christ returning, but I need to consider this whole sanctification piece of my life. 
And that's what's going on here in the context of this passage. Peter's wanting these guys to consider where they really are. And so I think my personal uh, take on this belief, I like the third view. I like the fact that he's pointing out a person who's blind, but that's his condition. But his condition is marked by the fact that he's short-sighted. And so we need to understand this term short-sighted. It describes one who is unable to see far off. Uh, one who squints because they can't see clearly. Uh, any of you have that problem when you're out driving at night? You're admitting it. I do too. In fact, I was driving somewhere not long ago and um, I don't think anybody was in the car and I thought that was a really good thing because I didn't want to admit the problem. But I'm coming up on traffic and I see taillights. Have you ever done this when you're driving and you go... You know, and you're trying to figure, okay, are those tail lights 100 yards away, 200 yards away, or 500 yards away? I've done that. And in fact, lately I've done it a bunch. And a confession, I haven't been to my optometrist in a while. I really need to go. But the reality is I can't see in a distance. I have a hard time with that. Um, it's interesting uh, in this word... We get the word myopia from this Greek word. A myopic person is one who sees only that which is close at hand. So in describing this person that's saved, all they see is what's right in front of them, this world. My friends, listen to me. How many of you would agree with this that it is very difficult because of the world we live in to constantly see ahead. Man, our world bombards us with, hey, you need to get connected to what's going on here. This life is truly all about you and how you want to live it and whatever you want to do because we're all going to be in heaven one day anyway or whatever's out there. But we know the reality of it, don't we, if we're believers in Christ because we know what God's Word says. Only those in Christ are going to be with Him. Right? But it is so easy to be bombarded with the things of this world. And so Peter describes this person as short-sighted. And this short-sightedness is causing him to be blind to spiritual things to the things that he really needs or she really needs in order to grow. Um, I like what Ray Stedman says about this passage. He says the use use of the term short-sighted in verse 9 emphasizes one whose vision is on earthly and material belongings. Does that happen to Christians? Can. Absolutely it can. Probably, in fact, I would say it's probably happened to all of us at some point in time. And needs to return to the things of God. So maybe this person has a priority issue. And they aren't able to see out. All they see is the things going on around them. I, I had a little book to, by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones that I really like. And he writes on Second Peter, he says this about this person. He says, he is a man who cannot see distant things. He is a short-sighted man. He is a man who only sees that which is immediately in front of him. He does not see the distant scene. By the way, um, it's not always going to be like this. 
There's a day that's coming. Did you know that? The Bible tells us. There's a day that's coming where there's going to be an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds for his church. He's coming. He's coming for his church. And my friends, listen to me. Things are going to change on earth. Um, And if he comes soon, I hope you're not around for that. The picture is brutal in Revelation. The judgment, what is called the day of the Lord, begins. So we need to consider, don't we, as Christians, like, guys, listen, we need to look beyond just here and now. We need to see that, listen, one day I'm going to be in front of my Savior. One day I am going to stand in front of him at the Bema seat if I'm in Christ and give account for my deeds done in the body. That's what the Bible says. So, Lloyd-Jones says he does not see the distant scene. He is a man who is only concerned about the temporal and the present. Boy, doesn't that really describe it? The temporal. These things are not lasting. He is a man who wants to enjoy life here and now and forgets the other life that is to come. He goes on to say what the apostle obviously means, therefore, is that this type of person does not see the ultimate end of the Christian life. Guys, listen to me. Our citizenship is where? Where is it? What does Paul say? Heaven. It's heaven. Well, I want you to take your Bibles and go to Colossians. This is a great book. Colossians chapter 3. Turn in your phones or however you do that. Turn your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3. Paul reiterates this thought. Chapter 3, look at verse 1. He says, if then, and it reads, if then and since you have been raised up with Christ. Notice what he says. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God so where's my mind to be I need to be concentrating according to Paul Paul saying to these guys hey listen you need to be concentrating on the things above where Christ is and then he says verse 2 set your mind that word set means to fix means to concentrate listen to me tomorrow people are going to fix their eyes on the eclipse, all right? That's what's gonna happen. People are going nuts about this, okay? Uh, in relationship to the spiritual life, Paul says, fix your mind on the things above. And he qualifies the things above in verse one, where Christ is. That's where the mind of the believer needs to be. Hey guys, and do you know what's gonna help us do that? Think about, we sang about some of that this morning. Think about all the many blessings that you and I enjoy if we belong to Christ. Think about the blessings. We're secure in Christ. Thank you, Lord. I'm secure in you. I've been sealed by your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship that I can enjoy with you, Father, and the Son. Thank you for that fellowship. Thank you for the fellowship that I can have right with my other brothers and sisters in Christ who are children of God. He says, set your mind on the things above 
And then he says, notice that little not. Not on the things that are on earth. Why? I'm glad you asked. Verse three. For you have died. You've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What do you mean I've died? I thought Jesus was the one that died. Well, he did die, right? He died, and the Bible says he died for our sins according to the scriptures, okay? So he died. Well, I don't, I don't, he died and, and he rose again so I could live. And I, I want to live like I want to live. I like that whole salvation piece, but this sanctification stuff, man, I'm not real sure about that. Well, what does it mean for you have died? Man, I'm glad you asked that question. Go back with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Paul tells the Galatian believers about that. Notice verse 20 of chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. What's that next phrase? And it is no longer I, what? Who live. Uh Uh-oh. What do you mean it's no longer I who live? Well, keep going. But Christ lives in me. Oh, that's what happens. At salvation, that's what happens. But Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It is no longer I who live. I've died to what? To self. Old things, they're gone. All things have become what, Paul says, new. I wonder how many Christians, it's a good question to think about. I wonder how many Christians are living in complete frustration. I want you to get this. Complete frustration in handling the difficulties of life because they do not know what the Bible says about the Lord and what he does for us as we go through these trials. My guess would be there's a whole lot of people living in agony because they don't understand the grace of God and the love of God. I mean, you think about the grace of God. I mean, Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he begged the Lord. He said, Lord, deliver me from this. And what did the Lord say? I'm gonna deliver you from this. Is that what he said? That's not what he said. He says, my grace is what? It's sufficient for you. Guys, listen, we're talking about a strange kind of walk. <laughs> you know, we, we are. I mean, you look at the language of the Bible, you go, man, I love the salvation thing, this sanctification, that's, 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 that's just so demanding. But it's not impossible Guys, do you know that the Lord loves you? If you're in Christ, he loves you. We sang about that. He loves you. He loves you so much. I was talking with a couple this week, and, and, and I use this um, phrase as it relates to the family, and it's true about our lives as believers. 
there's an umbrella of protection in our life as believers. Do you know that? It's better than any insurance policy you ever get. The umbrella is over us and, and God protects us and he's looking after us and he sent us his son in order that we can have a relationship with him. And the great, listen, and once we come to Christ, his spirit indwells us and so we're not powerless. But how many believers are living like they're powerless because they don't understand the whole sanctification piece? The Lord's on our side, guys. He wants us to grow in our relationship with him. Well, all right. Did you like all that stuff? Like this life is not your own stuff? It's tough stuff. Well, let me give you a challenge. Um, And then we're going to move on to the second point. Can you read that? This is the challenge. Live our life to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ knowing that the things of this world will be destroyed. How does that sound? You say, that where you get that? Glad you asked. 2 Peter, look, you don't even have to go out of the book. 2 Peter chapter 3, look at verses 10 through 12. This is what Peter says to this audience of believers. He says, but the day of the Lord will come, this period of judgment, from the tribulation period all the way through until the end of the millennial kingdom. There'll be, at the end of the millennial kingdom, another battle that takes place. Read it, it's, it doesn't last long, but it's Revelation chapter 20. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with immense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Ugh. There's global warming, by the way. Great verse on global warming. We need to send that to Washington, D.C., right? Let them know. And we can all write our names on it. They'd love getting a letter from us with just that scripture. And then it says this, Peter says this to his audience, and we'll talk more about this when we get to chapter three. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, in other words, that's gonna happen. He says, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, hey, it's not about right here. (laughs) It's not about right here. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Well, this person has a sight problem, but this sight problem leads to another problem, a memory problem that's caused by this sight problem. Not only can he not see forward, but he can't see backwards. Notice, for he who lacks these is blind, being short-sighted, having forgotten purification from his former sins. He's forgot that salvation, if you just want to put it that way, that whole salvation thing. Two, Two phrases here that are really important. Having forgotten... So he describes this person as having forgotten purification or cleansing from his former sins. Um, the word can be translated not to remember. No, we, we get that. 
right? We get not to remember. We understand what it is to forget. I don't have to walk too far down the hall and I forget what I'm going to tell the secretary, right? Uh, my memory, I'm finding as I get older, man, I'm, listen, when we started, this is on the side, when we started preaching when I was in school, we could carry a three by five card into the pulpit. Now I'm up to sheets. I have to have sheets, right? Memory. We understand what it is. I would encourage you husbands, just as a side note, don't forget your anniversary, right? Important day. Don't forget your wife's birthday. Your birthday doesn't matter. It's just hers, okay? Um, it also, it means to lose sight of. That one, that one kind of stuck with me. There are times in my life as a Christian, I need to be reminded of the cross. I need to be reminded of the cross. I need to be reminded of what it costs for me to be able to have a relationship with the Father. It means to lose sight of, or it can even mean to ignore. Well, the next phrase or word is important too, purification. It means to make clean. It means to cleanse from contamination or impurity. In fact, the verb is used a lot in the New Testament to refer to a leper who's been cleansed. Right? We understand lepers, they were isolated because of their disease. Hey guys, do you know, you know what's sad? Here's a very sad thought. But the world is isolated because of their disease. They don't even know they have the disease of sin. Do you know how the Bible describes us before we came to Christ? We were what in our trespasses and sin? Give me the word. Dead. Man, there are, there's a lot of the world walking around, right? Dead. They're dead. The sad part is they don't know it. Guys, for you and me, if we're in Christ, we understand we're alive, right? We've been made alive. You just didn't decide one day, I'm gonna be alive. No, the Lord makes us alive. We were dead in Christ. The Lord saves us. He makes us alive. And so the idea here is to make clean, to cleanse from contamination or impurity. My friends, listen, we were cleansed from sin. We were dirty. Um, I like the way Kenneth Weiss um, puts this in describing this person. He says, this is one who has wandered far from the sanctification road. He is carrying around with him his justification, but is not availing himself of his sanctification. His spiritual eyes are dim. There's something that um, we practice here at uh, Grace Community Church. And um, we don't practice it um, every week. But this is something, right? You're not limited to just practicing a communion at church, by the way. (laughs) You could have that with your family. Wouldn't it be nice if fathers, right? Listen, this is free. Giving you an illustration here. You can use this with your family, with your kids, if they're saved, right? And explain it. Even if they're not, some of them aren't saved. You, you, it's a great opportunity, great tool. And, and the bread represents what? 
the body of Christ. His body that was broken for us and the blood, I mean the juice represents his blood, right, that was shed for us. So when we, listen, when we come to the table, it's just not an, it's not an exercise in futility. It means something. We look back and we remember. Right? You say, well, I'm in a slump right now spiritually, Thad. Well, remember. Remember what it cost the Father for you to have relationship. It cost him his own son, the life of his son. So, practice it at home. When we have communion, the Lord's Supper on a Sunday, it's an opportunity to remember what the Lord has done for us. Um, there's a challenge I want to give you in respect to this as well. To consistently remember the price that Jesus Christ paid for our sin in order that through faith we might uh, we might be presented as righteous before a holy God. So the, the challenge here is to consistently remember what's going to help me consistently remember the price that was paid for my sins. Well, verses like this that Peter had already shared with his audience back in the first letter he wrote. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Peter wrote this to his audience he says, knowing that you were not redeemed, that word redeemed means bought, you were not bought with perishable things like silver or gold. And guys, listen, our, our world is used to what? Buying things, right? With silver and gold, it's all about, all about what we have financially. Money, money, money. Knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not bought with money. You weren't bought with silver or gold from your feudal way of life. Inherited from your forefathers, verse 19, but with precious blood. Precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, there's another way that you and I could remember that would be very beneficial. Not only remembering in terms of remembering his death his body that was broken, his blood that was shed. But you know, another way that we can remember how blessed we are is to witness. To witness. How many people are you exposed to and am I exposed to a week that they're, they're just lost? They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know there are kids that are walking around today, kids in school? I know this for a fact because I've been around a lot of little kids. Teresa teaches at an elementary, she's a counselor at an elementary school uh, here in the Birmingham area. They don't even know who Jesus is. Are you listening to me? They have no idea. We grew up with all these stories. If you grew up in church, they don't know these stories. Much less the greatest story. And the greatest story is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I know that a message like this, it's hard to consider. It's kind of one of those, ugh, right? 
Is it important? Well, I think so. You just can't skip over verses in the Bible because they make us feel uncomfortable. And we're going to find out next week that verses 10 and 11 are directly connected to verse 9. Do you know that the Lord wants us to be secure in our salvation? But if I'm walking around as a believer and I'm not giving much attention at all to the things that are mentioned in terms of my spiritual growth, there's going to be a problem. Not just the problem as it relates to your personal growth, but there's going to be doubt in your mind. We're going to deal with that some of that next week uh, together. Let's pray.